0: Welcome to the next edition of Grid Forward Chats. I'm Bryce Yonker with Grid Forward. Last week, we had the opportunity to connect with Jeff St. John, a reporter at Canary Media, and Catherine Morehouse, a reporter covering Energy at Politico. And we picked their brain on what was all in the Inflation Reduction Act. Package has since passed Congress, with the House passing it a few hours after our discussion, and the bill sitting on President Biden's desk, expected to be signed this week. For the introductory question, I asked Jeff and Catherine how we got to where we were with that package. Listen in, hear their thoughts.
1: Sure. Yeah. I guess to if we want to keep the history brief, I kind of think back to the uh, Energy Act of 2020. Uh, which was really a Murkowski mansion uh, kind of Republican or, or moderate bipartisan product that was really aimed at kind of scaling up more research and development, right? And a lot of that was aimed up at shoring up commercial scale development for technologies that haven't really reached market maturity. Um, and that was kind of considered at the time more of a slim down thing of what Democrats and uh, a lot of clean energy folks wanted to see and kind of ended up missing what a lot of folks in the renewables industry uh, really wanted to see in terms of, you know, a direct pay option and, uh, and and kind of having a more immediate impact on the market versus kind of the longer timeline for R&D. Uh, then we go to the bipartisan infrastructure law, uh, which, you know, got there. It, it, it went a little bit further, um, but it was much more grid focused, uh, in my view, kind of uh, Folk, in in terms of how it impacted the power sector, was much more kind of on the transmission side, and a little bit more on the regulatory side. And I guess it seems like this bill, from my perspective, kind of in the context of that history, is a little bit more of the faster acting, more kind of immediate jolt to the to the clean power sector that industry officials had been hoping for. Um, and you know, but we did lose some grid provisions like the transmission ITC, for instance. Um, but at the same time, we're seeing transmission stuff happen elsewhere. So uh, interesting to see how it'll play out.
2: Yeah, sure, thanks. Uh, well, America, American Reinvestment and Recovery Act or Recovery and Reinvestment Act, I can never remember which, um, was a big Obama stimulus. And uh, it really kind of got the ball rolling on a number of uh, kind of things that the federal government does that are now kind of reflected but in kind of intensified and expanded form in this new inflation reduction act such as tax credits not only uh for uh the production of energy by renewable resources but for the manufacture of renewable products and materials um there's a big expansion on that front in this new bill that i'd love to get into later Um, ARRA also was the start of the DOE's loan programs office, which uh, loaned money or uh, kind of guaranteed loans for a number of the country's first utility scale wind and solar projects. A lot of people credit that for giving the private kind of uh, sector the confidence to uh, back these kinds of projects, which are now the fastest growing type of energy resource we've got. Um, They loaned money to Tesla, Uh, the rest is history. Um, and they have an enormous, uh, LPO has an enormous new kind of lending mandate as a result of the Inflation Reduction Act, which could be quite, quite interesting to watch.
0: The next topic we covered without getting into the intimate details was how the Inflation Reduction Act had moved and some of the background to get it forward towards passage.
1: Right. So, I mean, the the big kind of... Uh, you know, the, the the tough part there was was getting uh, Senator Joe Manchin on board. And so obviously we we had the Build Back Better bill, um, which was a whole host of lots of clean energy things that, that Democrats and everyone loved. Uh, Senator Manchin was not for that bill and he was particularly concerned about, you know, uh, the impact on inflation and inflation. Uh, also, really didn't want to basically hurt the the fossil fuel industry. Uh, so, what what we ended up with was kind of much more of a compromise bill that uh, cuts some provisions, like like the ITC for transmission, and and like some of the direct pay options, just kind of across the board. It gives direct pay to some provisions, which we'll talk about later, but not not for everyone. Uh, and. And yeah, so so now we're kind of left with, with this bill, uh, which is again, very a very promising bill, but at the same time, there's also this other side deal that we are uh, expecting to see in the fall uh, that will do a lot more on permitting. And that could be a really big deal for transmission, which we can talk about later, um, but we'll also have a lot of provisions for for pipelines and other fossil fuel infrastructure.
2: Well, I would probably defer to Catherine on what has happened in DC since I'm out here in Oakland. and. And don't cover it as closely um primarily what happened between what everyone thought was the end of the kind of climate agenda and build back better and its uh, revivification a couple weeks ago was I, i think a bunch of executive actions including you know the uh domestic supply chain uh executive orders from the biden administration um and uh stuff like uh lending from the the Loan Programs Office, some multi-billion dollar loans to uh, battery cell manufacturing, to uh, uh, hydrogen clean uh, or low carbon hydrogen development and storage. Uh, Those were some of the, the bigger things that we were tracking on the federal side.
0: The first area we dive into in the bill is around the tax package. I asked Jeff and Catherine the significant grid related aspects That are in the tax related areas.
1: One thing I've been really uh, interested in on the tax side of things is the entities that do get kind of the direct pay now. Um, You know, we're seeing electric co ops, we're seeing municipalities and uh, really parts of the public sector that just really never had access to the ITC and the PTC the way all these other private entities did. so that that really opens up a completely new market for the renewables industry and gives a really big opportunity to a lot of folks who have been really interested i've i've talked to some kind of smaller developers who've said you know they get calls all the time and kind of have to tell people you know you're not you're not quite eligible for for the savings that you could see uh through this so I think that's it's interesting from that perspective where we're going to see renewables crop up again, and it's also interesting from the perspective of what what else is now eligible kind of um, for tax credits, like you mentioned storage. And there's there's more opportunities for advanced nuclear as well, and carbon capture, and uh, and hydrogen, and uh, all of those technologies that you know have not reached market maturity yet. And and so I think you're going to see maybe the entities that we're investing in, we're benefiting a lot from the solar and wind side, start to move into those technologies, the IOUs, and then maybe see all of these other entities that hadn't had the opportunity to go all in and wind and solar start to take that path.
2: Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, w- I was talking to an a- a attorney who works with uh, energy developers and he described it as primarily carrots, but a-, a little bit of sticks as well when it comes to the uh, adders or I guess subtractors. The, the carrots include the, uh, you can get a 10% adder to your base 30% ITC for locating in uh, disadvantaged communities, a similar adder for locating in what the bill calls energy communities, which are communities uh, that uh, largely rely on uh, or have coal power plants or uh, coal mining facilities, um, uh, fossil fuel dependent uh, economies, um, and these are very interesting and potentially appealing uh, this fellow was telling me that the devil's going to be in the details of how the IRS figures out what all those definitions are and you know project developers are going to be probably pretty eager for IRS guidance on that before they start to build those into their kind of financing or you know PPA models um, The the sticks, uh, which is kind of an unfair thing to call them uh, because they uh, are meant to do good and and hopefully will uh, include the domestic content um, and prevailing wage provisions. Um, Well, domestic content is actually gonna give you an adder. Um, Prevailing wage requirements um, will go into effect and uh, failure to kind of comply with them at least after the point at which they uh, have been kind of formalized uh, will uh, reduce uh, the uh, the value of the credits you receive. Um, but once again, uh, this is meant to ensure that the jobs uh, s- surrounding building a whole bunch of new solar and wind farms and battery farms or um, I don't know, a whole bunch of other stuff, um, uh, are strong, well-paying, and, uh, you know, the kind of jobs that are going to, you know, help the people who work and live in these communities where they're being built. So, So that's good stuff.
0: Next, we cover the consumer incentives, a couple titles in the bill for around $9 billion for new home efficiency solutions, and ask them how it will impact the grid.
2: Yeah, well, the, the two big ones that the uh, electrification kind of proponents like rewiring America were most excited about were that, roughly uh, 9 billion uh, from two programs, one of which is uh, a program that's basically gonna be offering up to, I think, four and a half billion dollars of, of rebates through state energy offices to uh, get stuff like heat pumps, heat pump water heaters, uh, electric ranges cooktops electric dryers and uh, pay for some of the electrical panel upgrades and wiring upgrades that you so often need if you're going to be adding all those loads to your house that's a pretty big deal a, a, a big ask from rewiring america um, and the folks i talk to expect that money to go very quickly once it is available i think uh the estimate is it could help up to 1 million homes go all electric and of course uh we got how many 260 odd million homes in the country uh so we got some uh some more to go the other program is a little bit more complicated uh it is essentially a a a energy efficiency retrofit and electrification um incentive program that's going to be managed by state energy offices that's groups like the california energy commission or nyserda or uh, as this one fellow was telling me, the the office in, in a state that has two people working in it. So uh, they're gonna need some support, but this is gonna, gonna allow these state offices to set up a bunch of different programs that kind of allow you to uh, reward people with up to I think $2,000 roughly for uh, either retrofits like re-insulation and new windows, or kind of uh, setting up your homes with more efficient appliances or electrifying your appliances, or even doing stuff like setting up your home so that it shifts when you use power from when the grid is most stressed to when the grid has plentiful electricity. Um, The detail of how that all rolls out is going to be really up to the state energy offices and the department of energy to work out. But a lot of folks say that, that could kind of create this market structure where once the $4.3 billion in federal money for it runs out, states can kind to slide in other things that are worthwhile to keep, keep getting, getting people the money for doing that kind of stuff. Like in California, um, there are structures that might reward people for doing that load shift from when we're facing blackouts in the summer to like overnight or when solar is plentiful at noon. Um, so that's pretty interesting. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how it's rolled out.
1: Yeah, well, I think you know on the vehicles, I had someone refer to the bill as the uh, "Electrify Your Life Act," uh, which I think is interesting, and I, I think it's, <laughs> and I, I think it's interesting that there are all these, um, you know, tax incentives for things like for things like heat pumps and for things like electric vehicles at the same time as we're really thinking about. How to create more efficient homes and more efficient buildings, and how to you know really deploy clean energy. So it's kind of the it's it's interesting that it's kind of the three at once. Those those kinds of three things that uh, are really important to you know like we need to electrify the grid, but also have the clean energy resources to be able to support that electrification. So it's interesting that those things um, are happening at the same time, and that this bill is so um, kind of aggressive on the electrification front.
0: I ask about resources and funding for efficient commercial and industrial facilities. We cover a highlight, but there are additional aspects that are in the package.
2: This is not something that I have actually delved into in any great detail. So um, I do know that there is nine and a half billion dollars for a program that's aimed at helping industrial facilities essentially go cleaner, greener, and more efficient, but I couldn't tell you just how that program uh, intends to make its nine and a half billion dollars available. There are um, a number of programs that are aimed at reducing pollution in uh, kind of disadvantaged communities or communities that have borne the brunt of, uh, you know, energy production related pollution and kind of environmental harms. Like three billion in uh, uh, to reduce air pollution at ports, you know, three billion for uh, environmental climate justice block grants, another three billion for kind of, neighborhood access and equity grants, um, which uh, is pretty wide ranging. That last one, uh, communities uh, have a lot of different ideas they have there. Um, uh, as far as uh, the, I, I guess we should also include the. Uh, grants for hydrogen in this because hydrogen is a linchpin to decarbonizing a number of heavy industries like steel and cement and chemicals production. And uh, I believe it's $2 per kilogram of hydrogen uh, credit uh, received uh, or available um, that could make uh hydrogen uh, lower carbon to zero carbon hydrogen uh, pencil out a lot better against the majority of hydrogen almost all of the hydrogen today that's made from fossil fuels i think one of the big tricks there is going to be defining the terms for what makes a kilogram of hydrogen green or not so green and that'll be a very interesting process to watch
0: the bill has at least three sections totaling $12 billion for support of rural grid operators to expand clean energy resources and grid infrastructure. We ask Jeff and Catherine to overview some of the critical components.
1: Sure. Yeah, that that's a really interesting one to me. I, you know, one half of it is the direct pay option, which is as we touched on before a big deal because you know co-ops weren't previously able to invest in clean energy the same way that investor owned utilities were um, because they they didn't have the same access to those tax credits it also provides a 9.7 billion dollar grant and loan program designed uh, specifically for co-ops to build new clean energy systems and that kind of gives the same flexibility as a lot of the rest of the bill where it can be nuclear carbon capture uh, wind solar storage all of that and I, I spoke to an electric co-op yesterday up, uh, up in North Dakota that's working on this big carbon capture project, Minn Kota. Uh, and for them, it's, it could be a huge game changer for their carbon capture program or their carbon capture project, which would uh, apply to a fossil fuel plant. Um, and, and he was talking a bit about how, you know, the, the cost of steel, for instance, and the cost of labor have risen so much and carbon capture projects already are economically disadvantaged in a lot of ways and, and are it's really hard to make the economics work for those projects. So the the combination of giving co-ops that uh, access to to the same kind of funding that IOUs have enjoyed while at the same time having that open to different kinds of of projects is a really big deal for them. Um, so yeah, just, I just I just think it's an interesting opportunity for for r- rural cooperatives to kind of explore decarbonization in a way that they they haven't had as much flexibility to do in the past
0: next we highlight some of the transmission coordination and loan funding to support expanded capacity for critical transmission infrastructure
2: Uh, cool uh you know uh, there are a couple things that look like they come with with little trouble in in being put to use like the uh grants to facilitate the siting of interstate electricity transmission lines, $760 million to help people do this. Um, This is actually one of the most complicated parts of trying to get transmission built is is trying to figure out where uh, these things ought to go and to do the enormous amount of uh, studies that are needed to determine whether or not the costs of doing so are worth the benefits Um, and, you know, Transmission development in this country is is very balkanized in that you've got states regulating utilities, you've got uh, interstate transmission uh, operators, RTOs and ISOs kind of governing the way that uh, transmission kind of that's shared amongst multiple utilities is kind of planned and paid for and built. Um, And then you've got, you know, state, county, city and private landowners who uh, all have a say in whether or not they're going to uh, allow transmission to go across our property or seek legal you know uh, redress to try to prevent it and so uh, all the money you could put toward uh, helping people figure this stuff out would be great i think um there's another 100 million for uh interregional and offshore wind electricity transmission planning again um interregional is particularly tough because it kind of crosses so many of those kind of uh balkanized boundaries when it comes to transmission development offshore wind is a tricky one because uh, mostly the offshore wind farms we've built so far have just kind of got their own line to the shore but really makes sense to have like a network of transmission off there for this enormous amount of offshore wind but no one's really done it before and we're still trying to figure it out um and then there's two billion for transmission facility financing and this uh, is kind of following on uh, about nine billion, if I'm counting right, in transmission uh, financing that came out of the uh, infrastructure bill, as well as from uh, the Biden administration opening up funding from uh, the Loan Programs Office, from uh, and from uh, the Western uh, kind of uh, grid management entity, WAPA. But this 2 billion sounds like a lot, a lot more than the ones I mentioned, but it is tied to this tricky thing. Um, To be eligible for a loan from this 2 billion, a transmission project would need to be located in a National Interest Electric Transmission Corridor or an NIETC. And this is a thing that the DOE can theoretically declare that this corridor is of national interest and uh, we're gonna kind of streamline permitting and maybe even enable kind of federal eminent domain power to get stuff built. But um, all the attempts to create these NITCs have faltered in the face of legal challenges over the past decade and a half, two decades. And while the infrastructure bill did kind of expand uh, NIETC authority for DOE, hasn't been tested yet. and that would be a tricky one to to imagine getting put to use before other alternatives have been exhausted let's put it that way
1: well i think it's worth highlighting that this is i think it's worth highlighting you know that this is one of the things that the bill kind of leaves not all the way complete right like they're part of the the provisions of this bill are part of the deal that mansion struck right was that he w- is going to get this big permitting bill done in the fall, and the permitting bill, I think, is where we're really going to see um, some changes to how how transmission lines are built in this country. Um, I think the the money side of it, um, you know, certainly, I, I don't see it hurting anything. Um, I think definitely that out well, um, but you know, FERC is definitely the bigger player here, and I think the regulatory side is is the more in, is the bigger side to focus on uh, and of course you can't deal with the regulatory side when you're doing reconciliation bill um, so the bigger deal on transmission is supposed to uh, basically streamline siting and mitigate any kind of mitigate challenges to those power lines which will also apply to the pipeline side of things uh, it's supposed to implement you know shorter timelines for major impact projects and and for and even shorter timelines for lesser impact projects Uh, sets up priority projects and uh, requires the Mountain Valley Pipeline to be completed, uh, streamlines the Clean Water Act, which again will probably mostly impact pipelines. Um, But so when I think about transmission, I'm definitely more focused on on the fall as well as focused on on FERC and, and what comes out of that.
0: Then we highlight a clause extending grid assets with a $5 billion fund to support continuation of those resources on the system.
2: Yeah, I don't know what that's about. Um, Here's what it says. Um, There's gonna be a new section called Energy Infrastructure Reinvestment Financing, which means that the secretary may make guarantees, including refinancing for projects that retool, repower, repurpose, or replace energy infrastructure that has ceased operations or enable operating energy infrastructure to avoid, reduce, utilize, or sequester air pollutants or anthropogenic emissions of greenhouse gases. Uh, You can include remediation. hey, yeah, if you're gonna use fossil fuels, you gotta do something about the emissions. Um, and the definition means the generation or transmission of electric en- energy or the production processing and delivery of fossil fuels. Yeah, it, I don't know what isn't in that, in, in terms of what's in the electricity infrastructure writ large, but the the, the direction in which the uh, Department of Energy and the Loan Programs Office chooses to exercise that lending authority is quite unclear to me. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure. What the emphasis might end up being?
1: Uh, I guess just you know, definitely reads to me like a mansion input. Um, you know, obviously, he's had a lot of interest in carbon capture and hydrogen and and kind of thinking about you know how existing plants can transition to be cleaner plants, um, which is what those two technologies conceivably might do someday. So that's that's how it reads to me, I guess.
0: And finally, we highlight the Green Bank a $27 billion fund that will help support low-income communities in accessing advanced energy capabilities, including those that can touch the grid.
2: Well, you know, I was I was talking to the folks at DC Green Bank earlier this week um, about what they might be able to do if uh, uh, this uh, $27 billion in funding, at least a, a slice of it comes to them, and they named a lot of different projects they're working on. Um, Everything from kind of uh, energy efficiency redevelopment for affordable housing to uh, stormwater kind of uh, capture and treatment. But they also mentioned uh, some projects like uh, a thing they're doing with Posigen, which is a uh, solar developer that works uh, primarily with lower income communities um, that that could uh, include some resiliency aspects to it. think the idea being that um there are a lot of projects in baltimore that are also doing this kind of thing taking community centers and churches helping them get access to uh lower cost financing you know aided by you know uh you know assistance from uh state or or city government programs to get solar and batteries up uh jigger shar who heads a lpo has talked about how he would like to see the lpo's lending authority help lower the cost of Uh, solar and batteries and kind of uh, uh, grid-responsive electric appliances so that, you know, private sector lending could make those more and more accessible to a wider range of customers. You can't kind of get access to them today. Um, The more of that stuff is out there, the more of that stuff is there that can be tapped for grid purposes. That could be through utilities directly kind of interacting with it, or it could be through... Uh, kind of price and value responsive mechanisms like the one that that $4.3 billion uh, home energy efficiency or retrofit program is talking about setting up. I think There's a lot of ways in which these things kind of over, overlap and intersect and maybe build on each other. Um, and once you get grid responsive stuff, that's, you got a virtual power plant there. Uh, more or less, Um, I I guess we better define our terms on what we mean when we say virtual power plant, but it's a good start.
0: We cover many of the grid related aspects in our discussion. I ask if there's anything we missed and Jeff had a highlight.
2: I just wrote a story about the new 45X production tax credit. And this is really interesting. Uh, In the past, like during the, uh, the stimulus era, Um, There were investment tax credits made available to folks who wanted to build facilities to build clean stuff here in the United States. And those, to all uh, uh, reports, did not necessarily uh, work out as well as one had hoped. Um, Now with this production tax credit, which is based on this uh, concept uh, uh, for kind of per unit or per widget tax credits that developed out of the uh, Solar Energy Manufacturing Act, the SEMA Act, um, they're they're going to start giving tax credits per unit of production for solar, wind power, batteries, uh, inverters, critical materials. Uh, the uh, Joint Committee on Taxation has scored this at $30 billion over the next 10 years. But think of it this way, the more stuff people produce, the more tax credit they get, the more it's worth to them. It's hard to score a thing like that. Um, I guess you try to predict the future of how much it's going to incentivize uh, a kind of vigorous and domestically and internationally competitive U.S. industry base for solar, wind, batteries, critical minerals up and down the supply chain. But it's a really novel application of federal power to incentivize a uh, U.S. clean energy industry. And a lot of folks are calling it the foundation of a kind of clean industrial energy policy for the U.S. So that's really interesting.
0: Nearing the end, I ask where the inflation reduction act in conjunction with the infrastructure package goes from here and Catherine has a highlight.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of where we go from here, I certainly the implementation stage will be really interesting. I'm from kind of the federal level down to the state and local level. Um, There's obviously a lot for DOE to do directly in terms of issuing loans and thinking about spending. Um, I'm really thinking a lot about the secondary impacts on FERC as well in terms of, you know, how this is really going to shape the resource mix and what that means for how market rules are structured. You know, FERC is already thinking about how to uh, kind of shift market rules to account for all of these these clean energy resources that have sprung up online and. In the past decade, and this kind of ups the urgency for FERC to think about those market rule designs and think about, you know, future planning in in a way that it's trying to do now. But but again, it just ups the urgency. Um, yeah. So so that's kind of what I'm focused on at the federal level, and then and then certainly at the the state and local level, I'm I'm really interested to see how you know cities are able to suddenly have these opportunities to invest and. Uh, move toward clean energy that they hadn't before and toward electrification and toward battery storage and all of these technologies that again, they just didn't have the same access to that, that, you know, private markets have been able to, that private markets have.
0: And to wrap, I ask Jeff and Catherine, so what, what is the imp- impact and the implications of the inflation reduction act and what will it mean for the industry, the country and the planet?
2: Well, okay. I mean, it's, it's both the, the biggest investment in uh, 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 combating climate change uh, in the country's history, and it's not enough, I guess. Um, you know it is, it is an enormous impact. The certainty of 10 years of kind of policy is just unprecedented. Um, this manufacturing support could be uh, unprecedented and kind of uh, really kind of game changing. Um, the attention being paid to um, uh, building community resilience and providing communities with the uh, resources and the kind of decision making uh, they need to make the kind of energy and uh, environmental changes they want to see in their communities is is being hailed as a, a major victory by groups who have been fighting for that stuff really hard for a long time. Um, and. As uh, all the modelers are telling us, uh, this helps us reduce our carbon emissions uh, uh, by about 40% by 2030, uh, as compared to between say, 25 to 35% under a business as usual scenario. And we have to go much further. Um, So good on us and uh, uh, what happens next, I guess.
1: Well, I mean, I guess I think about outside of all the things that Jeff said, I think about how the resource mix has changed so much in the past decade, and I it, it feels to me like this is kind of the beginning of, of that second wave of, you know, another major change in the way we generate our power and in the way we consume really all kinds of energy. Uh, and so I'm I'm really interested to see if this is kind of the shot in the arm, or um, obviously, like Jeff said, there is there is a long way to go. But I. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what, the, what this will mean for how, how we live our lives and uh, consume resources in the next decade.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats. If you're interested in Grid Forward membership and our work to accelerate grid modernization and energy innovation, including the backlog of our podcast, visit us at gridforward.org. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app.